If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. (sighs) So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass, and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up, and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now... Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. We continue our study in 2 Corinthians. Let me just set us up well, though. Paul and Timothy wrote this letter to the church that they literally planted in Corinth. They had spent 18 months there and cared well for the folks in that extremely wild town. But issues arose in the church once Paul left. So Paul put on the pastor hat and begin to address some of these shortcomings. 
he sent at least three pointed letters to the saints in Corinth. Second Corinthians would be the fourth letter. And it's a letter that as we read it really has a whole different flavor. Paul himself saw his kinks in the armor. And he knew his weaknesses. But he focuses on God and how God uses weak and fragile vessels to accomplish his mission here on the planet. Paul understood in this letter that his leadership and God-ordained authority was under scrutiny. People were saying that Paul's motives were corrupt. And they were... Well, his words were untrustworthy, and that his actions were even devious. He addresses these outrageous lies in order to protect the church's health. Paul talked about hard times right from the beginning of the letter. He told us that one reason for suffering is so that we might experience God's suffer, suffering in our pain that we might experience God's comfort in our pain so that we might be able to comfort others with God's comfort. The apostle tells us that God enables us to stand firm in the midst of storms and that in the spite of suffering, God has actually commissioned us and given us assignments. Paul also talks a whole lot about the Holy Spirit in this whole letter, which we're going to focus on in just a little bit. That's why we had the bumper that we did. Last week, though, we saw that Paul penned how sin affects both individuals and the church and how loving and necessary church discipline is for the church. He also said that the church has the privilege of spreading the knowledge of God everywhere we go, go. He called us perfume. Or he said that we are the fragrance and told us to go out so that we would smell like Jesus wherever we went. The church in Corinth needed to hear these words. But before we jump into chapter 3, let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray today as the psalmist did in Psalm 33. We sing a new song of praise to you today, Lord. Your unfailing love fills this earth. Lord, you merely spoke, and the world began. You breathed the word, and the stars were born. You assigned the seas its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord. But, Father, we know our nation does not fear you. We know that in our nation there are many who are far from you. We know that our arrogance and our rebelliousness has broken your heart. 
we will not count on our war horses to give us victory. It will never be our might or our brilliance or our wisdom that bring us peace. We know you watch over those who fear you. So we ask, Father, that we would grow in our fear of you. So we cry out for peace. First of all, with you, Lord, and then with each other. We ask you, Father, to heal our fractured land, to heal our diseases. We put our hope in you, Lord. You are our help and our shield, for we trust in your holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, for our hope is in you alone. Even now, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be active in your church, in our church. That today, you would use this pastor to teach. And that we would learn and be convicted and understand what you've asked us to do. We love you, Father. And thank you for gathering today, spread out all over this land. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's jump into our text today as the apostle begins to address the skepticism toward his leadership from the church at Corinth. Now remember, he started this church. He had lived with these folks for 18 months. This just seemed really, really odd. But let's open our text. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along with me on the screen behind. I'm going to start at verse 17. Just a reminder again that this is a letter. And in verse 17 is where we ended last week in our study. So we'll start there. Chapter 2, verse 17, and going on to chapter 3. You see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written out in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with a pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our, our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. 
I love it when Paul just says, well, we're not hucksters. Well, what a great word. We're not preachers who are going to go out and make some money off this whole thing. You guys know we've lived together. I've tutored you. I've walked with you. He said, we are here to preach God's word. And we are accountable to God. You folks ask, who is recommending Paul? Who's going to be writing his letters of recommendation? But Paul writes back something that, if you understand, should really blow your mind. All right? He says, you don't need letters of recommendation because you, yourself, you Corinthian believers, you bear God's fruit. Now let me explain why this is so amazing. He's saying everyone could recognize our good work among you because of the changes in your life. Because you have been transformed. It's so very, very apparent. You talk differently than the other ones in Corinth. You think differently than the other ones in Corinth. You act differently than the other ones in Corinth. You see, the Holy Spirit lives in every believer and shows that he's living in you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul writes a different letter to, the, to those who are in Rome. And he says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give you or he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same living spirit within you. Now, every time someone comes to faith, every time someone recognizes they need a savior, that they have sin in their life, and that they have been separated from God because of this rebelliousness. And they come to Jesus. And they recognize that Jesus died on the cross for them. And they trust Christ's death and the penalty that he paid so we didn't have to. Jesus says those who put their faith in him like that. They have God's Spirit living in you. So my guess is the majority of you who are sitting right here in this house have made that commitment. You are part of God's family. And if you are, the Scriptures say that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now when the Holy Spirit lives in you, something changes. He begins to transform you. And I'd like to read a very familiar passage to you. It's in Galatians chapter 5. But it talks about how the Holy Spirit bears God fruit in his kids. So Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Paul writes this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit's living in you. Let him lead you. Let him direct you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Obey the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature or don't listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings in you, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then there's a breath of fresh air. There's a big but in verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is so cool. This can't happen unless the Spirit's in you. But the apostle, apostle says this. He says, if you listen to the Spirit, you walk with the Spirit, you obey the Spirit, you open up God's Word and He prompts you in something and you obey it, this is what's going to happen. He's going to produce this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There isn't any way that in ourselves this is just going to happen naturally. We have such a bent toward ourselves and our own needs. But as the Holy Spirit is allowed to rule in our lives. He chips away the things that don't reflect God well and replaces it with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Oh, that's amazing. We also know in John 15, and, and you can read this later, but, but in John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, if you abide in me, I promise, if you walk with me, if you listen to me, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. You, yes, you will bear God fruit. In other words, your lives are a billboard. As you walk out, not only like last week, we said you will, will ooze the fragrance of Jesus, but people will know that the Holy Spirit and that God is living in you. Now, there's even more here, though. I think what Paul's also saying is this. All leaders who walk with and depend upon God will disciple God followers who bear God's fruit or show God is at work in their lives. Now, so many of you 
have grown up in families and you've had opportunities to disciple or to model for your kids what it looks like to follow God with all of your heart. Well, not only do we have normal and natural families, but we have opportunities as leaders to work with other families and and other people. And and I think what Paul is saying here, that a clear indicator of godly leadership is a look at their track record. This certainly applies to pastors and to all the ministry leaders. But this isn't just about education or when you get saved or how long you've been saved. Well, I've been in part of the church for 50 years. Awesome. I think Paul would just say, are you hanging out with people who are growing in their relationship with God and bearing fruit? You can have all the qualifications in the world, but it doesn't matter if the folks you have influence with don't bear fruit. It's critical. Whether we're looking for Awana leaders, or Sunday school teachers, or youth leaders, or maybe you hire a new staff person, or bring a different pastor in, and those folks may have all the credentials in the world. They've gone to the greatest schools. They can parse every Greek verb. Whoa! They have the gift uh, where they can speak and tell stories in amazing ways. Really, you need to ask one question. Where's their fruit? Where's their fruit? Because if they don't have any fruit, they're not influencing. Paul says, our good work is faithfully teaching the word and encouraging others to obey it. Paul says, we have great trust in God because we're not qualified to do anything without God. Do you see how dependent Paul is in spite of how educated, how much he knows about God? It is God, Paul says, that gives us our authority. God alone gives us the privilege of serving you and sharing with you great news so that the Holy Spirit will transform your lives. It is God, the Spirit, who alone lives in all of us and changes, makes the changes in all of us. The old way, or the observance of the law, showed Israel how unholy they were and showed them how to obtain temporary relief through certain sacrifices and offerings. We find that in Romans chapter 7. But sacrifice after sacrifice made the Israelites thirsty for the one perfect sacrifice. And in the book of Hebrews, it's amazing to read through that because over and over and over the author says, Oh, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. I am so glad that Jesus came. A sacrifice once and for all. Then Paul continued to write. In chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Corinthians 3, verse 7. The old way with the laws etched in stone led to death. 
though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see his glory, even though that glory was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. Now, if you just read that for the very first time, your mind is spinning. Hopefully, let me explain and clear up some of this confusion. The old way, with laws etched in stone, revealed God's plan for his people Israel. But what the law really did was show them their need for a Savior and that they needed a perfect forever sacrifice. Now Paul brings up Moses. And he says, yet after Moses met with God and received the law, his face was brilliant. It shone like the sun so that when he came down from the mountain, people couldn't even look at him. He had to put like a veil over him or they couldn't even talk to him. Now, as you came in, you also had some bulletins, and I've handed this out before, but I think this is so worthy to go through. We're not going to talk a lot about this, but in Exodus chapter 19 through Exodus 34, Moses meets with God five times. They're really amazing visitations. And Moses is a friend of God, and Moses loves going to God, where most of the other Israelites are saying, whoa, Moses, that's okay for you. No, I don't want to do that. That's kind of scary. My God is scary. And Moses says, oh, our God is wonderful. I, I want to be with him as much as I can. So what happens is, is that as the children of Israel were walking, God wanted to give the children of Israel laws and principles so that they might be able to experience life and that they might be able to at least temporarily stay connected with God. So what happened is, is that Moses, as many of you saw, went up on a mountain, Mount Sinai, and received the law. At this time, this is one of his visits, he came down and saw the people um, living in rivalry and and uh, great sin. And he smashed the tablets, really, out of anger. 
And the scriptures say that he made another mini visit. But on the fifth visit, the next one, he went back up the mountain and spent time with God for 40 days. And when he came down this time, he had a new set of laws. Same set, but new set of tablets. And when he came down, his face was brilliant, almost like the sun. They couldn't even focus, so they said, Moses, put the veil over your face. And so Moses' face indicated, catch this, please, that he spent time with God. And as a result of it, it reflected God. So if you understand this, Here's Paul's logic. It will blow you away. If the presentation of that law came in such glory, shouldn't we expect God to shine even brighter in us right now? Believers, part of God's family. Okay? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. See, Moses went up and for 40 days hung out with God. But right now, you and I, who have come to faith, have the Holy Spirit living in us 24-7. Paul writes, this new way makes us right with God and allows God to live in us. In fact, the Moses face glow pales in comparison of the glory that God gets when the Holy Spirit lives in you and lives in me. Can I stop for a moment? Are you letting this sink in? God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, Rick. And all those others who've trusted you. And you think Moses had an awesome relationship and hung out with me? <laughs> this is going to be amazing. It doesn't get better. And on top of this, the transformation is going to last forever. In fact, Paul writes this, that the Holy Spirit who lives in you ought to make you and ought to make me bold. We can be confident because of what God's doing and changing in our lives. Now it's so important that we walk in the Spirit, that we listen to the Spirit because you can have the Spirit living in you and we have talked so much about this over the years. It may not control you because there's sin in your life. So each one of us are flawed. Each one of us need to repent often so that restoration happens and that the Holy Spirit is allowed to continue to transform us into God's likeness. Isn't that cool? So what does that mean? It means if you're like me, you probably repent not one time a day. Not ten times a day. I mean, maybe a good day for me is 25 times. 
when something comes out of my mouth, I know that doesn't reflect God well, and you ask for forgiveness. And say, God, you got to change that. Or something floats in my mind, or how I drive, or whatever it is. The Spirit convicts you. Oh, Lord, you're right. I, I know this is wrong. Change me. Change me, Father. I want to reflect you better. And when we do, Moses, it's an, it paled, paled compared to what happened. And imagine whether there's 100 or 200 of Crosspoint people, and you had all the other believers on this planet, and they all walk with God, or are walking with God if they do, and they move out into the marketplace, into their neighborhoods, into their homes, all with God glow. And then Paul, and, and again, because he uses the same word, sometimes it's confusing, but if you look in the context, he cleverly uses the word veil again, but gives it a little different meaning here. So even with God living inside of you and me, and we represent him, and we share good news with others, there will be some that do not respond to the gospel because they have a veil. Now remember, if we're becoming more and more like Jesus, we're going to be treating people more and more like Jesus, and people are going to treat us more and more like Jesus, which means some people didn't treat Jesus very well, folks. I, I mean, just remember that. And not everybody, you would think if the Son of God is walking here on this planet that everybody really would <laughs> respond, right? And they didn't. It just didn't. And so as we walk with God and we reflect God, we're going to still treat people the way Jesus did in spite of their response to us. But Paul just gives us a little illustration and says, you know what the reason is? Some people just have a veil. They're not, they have not been born again. They cannot spiritually see. But if they come to faith, and, and every one of you may even remember because it's recent enough when you came to faith, and some of the Bible you would read, and some of the stories didn't make sense, and you'd go like, what are these Christians? They're crazy people. But as soon as you stepped into the light, as soon as you trusted Christ as Savior, all of a sudden the lights came on. And the Spirit was able to convict you and teach you and help you understand God's Word. And this is what Paul says. They will not be open to spiritual truth unless they come to faith. And the veil can only be removed. Oh, boy, slow down. The veil can only be removed by believing in Jesus cool is this? Now it only gets better, honestly. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. These three verses are amazing. Verses 16, 17, and 18. Look at this. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. That's good news. We just covered it. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Verse 18, in light of this, so all of us who have had the veil removed, two things can happen. 
they can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. If you mark your Bible, circle, pot, 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 pot on verse 16. The veil is removed when anyone repents and turns to Jesus. That's our prayer for our lost world. But faith, coupled with God's grace, changes everything. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And the Holy Spirit teaches you from God's Word. It convicts you. It produces fruit. Chips away the things that don't reflect God well. And gives God glow. So you walk in a room. Not only do you smell like Jesus when you're walking with him. You look like Jesus. You talk like him. You act like him. You love like him. You forgive like him. Oh, amazing. And he gives you freedom. So, those with the veil removed can see God. You can see God. You can now understand a little bit more who God is. doesn't mean you're going to understand every idiosyncrasy. But it means all of a sudden our God, he's worthy to worship. He's worthy to trust. He is so faithful. And we can reflect God because the Holy Spirit makes us more and more and more like Jesus. Wow, what a plan. So this is what Paul is saying. Hey, all of you flawed Corinthians, you ones who, you know, fell off the rail once I left. Your, your sin was appalling in some ways. Do you understand you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Do you understand that God's given you a mission? Do you understand that he's chipping away all the things that don't reflect me very well at all? All those things. How cool, how inspiring for all of us here at Crosspoint Church or whatever. We are flawed. We are broken. We are so dependent on God for change. But he also says, you know what? I'm sending you. We all smile at the disciples. What a group. Right? But that's us. We don't have our act together. But we can depend on God. And God can change us. And we can smell and look like Jesus. I mean, does it take your breath away? Does it? Do do you realize God's plan? How cool. Now again, we covered so much today. But let me just try to remind you of a few things. God has commissioned us, a broken, needy, transformed people, to be able to go into our world, go into our homes, go into our marketplace, and have the aroma of Jesus 
and look more and more and more like Jesus. You see, the harvest is ready. We know that. And God has commissioned each one of us to go out into our worlds and represent Him well. Not perfectly, that's why we can confess, but well. Let's pray. Before we again sing another prayer, change my heart, O oh God. Father, this news is so good. But if we understand it, it overwhelms us. Why would you want to live in us? And why would you want us to represent you to a dying world? But God, that's what you said. We are so privileged. We are so grateful. We thank you even now that we live in this time where we can allow the Holy Spirit not only to live in us, but to change us from the inside out. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.